God told me to do it. So I'm back. What you think? It's a hood shaking at the bitch. Get down on the floor. Drop, drop, ho. Like, boy, give me more. Make them hoes mad. Bitch, I'm Vicky Low. Bend it over, bitch. Throw that ass, ho. Bend it over, bitch. Double, double, bitch. Bend it, bend it over, bitch. Double, double, bitch. Bend it over, bitch. Over, bitch. Over, bitch. Over, bitch. Over, double, 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 double. Damn, that shit good. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. 2021. What's happening? Where it's at? Ooh, that rhymed. Alex, you should be a rapper. I probably should. I probably should. Quit this podcast shit. Be a rapper. I know, girl. I know. I feel you. I should. Okay, so let's just go ahead and get into this week's Damn That Shit Good, uh, which is the beautiful creation of all things authentic which is P-Valley. I know my people. I know, I know. I am super late when it comes to this show. I feel you and I wish that I watched it when it first came out. But you know, like I like to watch shows like Benji style. So I wait until like the series or the season is like completely done. And then I go back and I watch it and I want to watch it its entirety. I know it's the impatience of me, but you know, blame Netflix. Don't blame me and my addictions. Okay. So either way, let's go ahead and, and talk about it. So not only does the show P Valley fit into today's theme of the episode, of course, like this episode, of course, that's what we're talking about today, which is, you know, probably I'm, I don't even know what I'm going to name it by this time. You know, I'm kind of doing this as I go. This is the inception. So, you know, we're all working together and I'm working with this. So I don't even have a name of this episode, but it could be called niggas ain't shit. Leave women alone. I don't really know. We'll figure it out. It's probably not going to be niggas ain't shit because niggas won't listen to this if this was said niggas ain't shit. So regardless of it, let's just keep going with this. P-Valley not only fits into today's episode, but it answers all of your questions around the lives of strippers. And I know you all have many. And as well as the strip club scene, A little synopsis for the people like me who waited until the last minute to watch this masterpiece. P-Valley follows a woman named Haley or Autumn Knight, who was displaced after a flood destroyed her city in the Mississippi Delta. She finds a suitcase in the river, like, or the flood itself, uh, with a little money and an ID and travels to a small nearby city named Chuckalisa, Mississippi. Yes, that's the name of it. Oh, I love it already. In the dead of the night, in her found Christian Louboutins, you know, those red bottoms, white button down. Yes, it was popping. I actually liked it. And her black midi, midi pencil skirt. Yes, very, very, very nice as well. She came in there looking like a teacher and or the CEO of a company and or the secretary of the CEO of the company. Either way, she finds herself at the Pink, which is a pop-in strip club that sits on the water, okay? I'm not gonna give you too many spoilers because I really honestly want you all to watch it. I want you to find somebody who has stars. I want you to either, you know, illegally download it. I don't really know, you know, do, do whatever you feel like you need to do there. I'm not going to tell anybody if you don't, you know, your business is your business, but I need you all to watch it. I really want you all to kind of find it and watch it. Um, With this, I just want to go through all of my favorite things, right? So first of all, first and foremost, Mercedes, the OG, which is played by Miss Brandy Evans is literally my favorite. You can't tell me anything else or any other character that's in this show that provides the the fire that this 
that she provides. I don't even want to call her a bitch. You see, I was getting ready to do that, but I just feel like I want to give her every last one of my respects. Okay. I feel like I honestly want to go back and rewatch it and grab all of her quotes and apply them to my life and then spit back at you niggas like fire because that's literally what she does. Like, boom, 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 boom. She's the only one in that goddamn place that got her head on her motherfucking shoulders. And bitch, you wish you were that put together, okay? Another thing that I absolutely love is, or another person that I absolutely love is Little Murder, played by Mr. Nicholson. I cannot say your middle name or your first name, if that is your first name, but Jay, you are fantastic. Let me tell you, this man has a very, very, very unique ability to bring every single ounce of his emotion to his eyes. Like that is acting. You honestly don't even know him, but you feel him. The sincerity, the love, the pain, the laughter. I have heard someone say this to me before and it's kind of stuck with me. There's a difference between acting a character and channeling a character. And Mr. Nicholson, drew his role like he drew his role in his head and he knew every last one of it he understood every piece of it and he channeled everything into this character like mind you not a lot of the acting is great in this besides miss mercedes i I, mr nicholson is like literally the next right like i like i said mercedes is my favorite but mr nicholson like little murder is just a fantastic because you know you would want his character you know when you watch it you'll get there right but you would want his character to be you know really stoic or you would think that his character is going to be really stoic and not really giving a fuck because most niggas really honestly do not give a fuck but he brings such love to this character and so many depths of this character and complexities to his character that most most actors cannot do and i'm telling you he doesn't even have that many lines and he is acting his ass off. He doesn't have that many lines and he is acting his ass off. I stand, I stand, I stand, I stand. Now, I'm very, very, very upset that on IMDb, the show didn't get that big of a rating. It has a 6.9 rating. Um, and I really honestly feel like it should be at least an eight. Um, so give it, give it its flowers. And the reason why I feel that it didn't get the necessary credit that it deserved is because it's so authentic. It's so authentic. It doesn't sacrifice anything for any explanation for white people or for white people to understand or for for um, anybody who doesn't understand this life or doesn't want to be about this life to understand. It doesn't give you any opportunity to to um, kind of say, okay, I'm going to sit down and explain what this is to you. And I'm going to sit down and explain why she's on her head and why she's standing up and why she's going all the way up to the top of the poles and, and why she's flipping like this. Like she, there is no room for explanation. They wanted you to be able to dive into this world and to automatically understand what it is, because that's literally how it is at black strip clubs. Let me tell you, this is, I'm not, I'm not joking. When you go into any black strip club, the popping ones, especially the ones just kind of like this one, there is no room for, let me sit down and explain every single ounce of how this works. 
You just dive right in. You see women on poles going all the way up to the top and flying, literally flying all the way down into splits. You see, you know, niggas throwing fucking, fucking ones all the way up in the air, bitches slapping asses, uh, lap dances right in front of your face. Like you see the bare bodies all over the place. You see that there are separate rooms. There are VIP sections. There are so many different elements to this that you are welcomed immediately into the space as somebody who is a patron, somebody who's a customer, and somebody who is a part of this family. I just feel like why sit down and try to explain that to anybody? And I love how the show does not explain that. It doesn't sacrifice anything for for anyone. You know, and I'm going to also take it even a step further. It doesn't it doesn't sacrifice any of the true danger that women go through in these spaces, like the fact that there are security, there is security there. The fact that security will come really fast. The fact that there's cameras everywhere. So niggas keep your hands to your fucking self. And if I have to repeat myself again, it's going to be a fucking problem. Like the fact that, you know, there are men who come into these spaces and spend a lot of fucking money, but will judge the fuck out of you and throw the fucking money on the ground disrespectfully. Yes, that's a scene. I'm so sorry that I spoiled that for you, but, you know, I didn't really spoil it for you because niggas are just like that all of the time. So I just feel like it didn't sacrifice any of the dangers and any of the disrespect and misogyny that happens in the strip club, even though a lot of the women are in positions of power in those spaces. I also feel like it did not sacrifice any of the real dangers of trans individuals and members of the LGBTQ plus community. I first love the representation and I love the fact that there is some true gay sex in there. And we're talking about people that you wouldn't have any idea stereotypically if you really are about stereotypical, <laughs> stereotypical things, but there is no, you would not there. It's like you, it's life. It's life. It's life. That's that's what I'm trying to say. It's life. They are presenting a life. This is life. You know, and if you don't think that this is how life is, you have literally been living in a bubble. And so I love how they brought you into this world and into their life. Also, shout out to every last one of the directors who are all black women. Okay? All black women, writers, directors, everything. Black women. Black women were a part of this. Black women created this. Which is probably why, again, it got a 6.9 rating on IMDb. Yeah, I paused for a second, gave you some dead air so that way you can sink all of that in. Okay, all Black women directors. And they depicted so many great things. First of all, I'm just going to say I really, 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 really appreciate the fact that we paused before any type of sex to put a condom on. Again, gave you some time, dead air, so that way it can sink in, right? The fact that they paused to put a condom on and to show that to you, that sex doesn't just happen like it does in the movies where we're just like, ooh, oh, no foreplay at all. We're just going to come over here. We're just going to go fuck up. Yep. Just raw. And then the condom comes out of nowhere and it's just like, what happened? You know, the fact that we're talking about condoms and the fact that condom use is just so normal in, in, this, in this show is beautiful. I snapped every single time. I feel like shows and TV, TV shows and movies, and in general, we should start using and start talking about condoms in that way. 
Because honestly, if we don't, then we're just going to end up with more of a contraction of diseases that we do not need or want and or more babies. Future, I'm talking to you. So, you know, let's just kind of, you know, put a condom on. Let's, let's be real about these things and let's show what it really does look like and what sex really does look like. So that way, pe- when people watch this, specifically people that are young that may not have had sex before, I know, yes, it's weird. Why would they be watching this? But some parents apparently leave it up to TV to teach their kids how to do things. So, you know, when they're watching this, why aren't we just like allowing them to see what it really might be? So there's that. I just feel like my favorite moments were the silent shots with no music playing and the women that were playing these characters were climbing all the way up to the top of the poles and you can literally hear their deep breathing their shallow breaths their their held breaths that they're climbing as they're twisting as they're falling it is one of those things that it kind of keeps you in suspense of oh my goodness is she going to fall oh my goodness is she going to be okay like what's going to happen here what's going to happen there and that's literally what would happen in the mind of a stripper right somebody who is up on those poles and you know none of them are saying or even having those thoughts you know sometimes when they when just like dead silence there is like you know the narration in the background like oh my god am i going to fall oh my god what's going to happen over here what's going to happen over there but no there is none of that and the reason why is because it allows you to think that Right. So that way you can see the true danger of what these women are putting themselves in. But also at the same time, the the anticipation of, oh, my goodness, I cannot wait until she falls. I cannot wait until she falls into the splits. I can't wait till somebody like, you know, throws money on her because that's what it's like in the strip club. Again, not sacrificing authenticity for anyone. I love it. And it's not even just that, but they're showing the true hard work that strippers really honestly go through. Okay. So that just makes me say to you all that strippers are athletes. It takes upper body strength. It takes lower body strength to climb all the way up the pole and then pure science and the trust of God in yourself to thrust your body to one side with one arm or literally just your fucking thighs. Okay. Yes. I'm going to repeat that. Just your fucking thighs. Yes. These beautiful athletes climb all the way up to the top of the ceiling hold their thighs, like literally hold the pole with their thighs and have somebody else standing on top of them. Or they're standing with their feet on the ceiling, dancing up there, doing the stanky leg, popping their asses. That is athleticism, okay? Just for them to hold tightly onto that pole and do a dead drop, an instant floor drop into the fucking splits. Who? Who? Point me. Point me. Point me into a, a motherfucking Michael Jordan or a motherfucking LeBron James that can grab their motherfucking thighs all the way up there and drop to the motherfucking splits that fucking fast. That's athleticism. You know how much stretching you have to do to even do the fucking splits in general? You know how much stretching you have to do? And the fact that these bitches get all the way up there and can just do that just shows that they are athletes. They are athletes and they deserve every last medal. And honestly, I feel like the Olympics should start introducing strippers into their arena. I just feel like this is something that needs to be awarded. It is something that needs to be celebrated. It's something that we need to start really looking at as athleticism because I mean, fuck, it is, right? And also, might I might, 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 I'm getting all my words twist up and shit. Might I just add the fact that every last one of these women are wearing a minimum of six inch heels? Minimum, minimum. 
minimum. None of them are barefoot. None of them are wearing flats. And I mean, they're doing this for hours upon hours upon hours, just letting you niggas just touch all over them. And so that way they can dance all over you, walking back and forth on this motherfucking floor in fucking minimum of six inch heels. Okay. It's dark. It's blinding lights. Money is flying everywhere in your face, in your hair, in your body, all over the ground, all over the ground. Okay. It is a, it's, it's chaos in there, but at the same time they do it and they do it to sell this fantasy. They do it for the money. They do it for the, for the notoriety. They do it for fame. They do it for the, for the gram. They do it for whatever they do it for. And honestly, I applaud every last one of you for doing everything you do. Just the pure talent and care and innovation and re-innovation, you are consistently recreating what it means to be you, what it means to be a stripper, what it means to dance on that pole, what it means to have this life. You have literally taken something that could have been seen as something degrading and could be something that, that you know, is misogynistic, which I really honestly don't even think so. And you have turned that into such pure art. And it's so beautiful to see Every last one of you just doing what you're doing. It is amazing. And although I'm saying the show is a great app, app <laughs> although I'm saying that the show is a great ad adaptation, there we go, there's the words. Although I'm saying the show is a great adaptation of what the strip club life is like, real strippers that are actually out there doing the real fucking thing, the real thing, are way better. They're way better. Find yourself at a king of diamonds when COVID's not real, okay? And, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say this to you random niggas. It's more than just titties, okay? It's literal art. And I appreciate all of it, and you should appreciate all of it. Or don't forget to come and pick up your feelings. I, you know, I would sing it, but let's just let Jasmine do it. All right, we'll be back. Don't forget to Don't forget. come and pick up your Hi times welcome back welcome welcome here um you go ahead and grab your weed grab all the things that you need right now um settle in and get cozy and or if you are driving please do not smoke weed i am not suggesting that nor am i suggesting for you to uh, get cozy in your car you need to pay attention to the fucking road that's what the problem is with the goddamn drivers out here okay nobody pays a fucking attention and then we're in this fucking situation in which people just swerve in and out of lanes or people are just la 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 I'm gonna get on the freeway when I feel like getting on the freeway or people just cut you off and just drive like it's the motherfucking roadway or the motherfucking speedway no one has time okay just saying pay attention pay attention uh not to me but to the fucking road okay matter of fact if, if you need to you could turn this off you could like pause it here 
Okay, and then like come back and play it again. Like that's the presence of our technology today. You know, it's not like you just catching a radio show and you're gonna miss out what I'm gonna say. Like I'm not Ryan Seacrest, okay? I'm not big boy. I'm not on like, you know, 92 point whatever the fuck, right? Like I'm literally, this is a podcast. Like you can pause it and just pay attention to the road. Like I just need you to just be safe. Please just be safe. I just don't want to be responsible for whatever the fuck is going on with you, okay? Um, So this is High Times and... um. I wish that I was high. I actually am not high um, at all. I gave up weed for 40 days. Um, yes, I'm fasting. Um, I promised God that I was going to do that. And I did, um, even though I kept staring at my bong like it was chocolate. I, every time I went over to the chocolate, it melted in my hand. So I just said, no, it's okay. I'm just not going to do it, even though. I really wanted to inhale the sweet juices of weed into my lungs. Um, I have not done so in since the beginning of the new year. Um, so let me just go ahead and give you all a little bit of an update on where Alex is at and what's been going on with me for the past, you know, year. It's been it's been a while since I've done an episode, um, and it's because a lot has happened. Um, not necessarily with me per se. Part of it was because I was lazy and I didn't feel like coming in here, and I didn't really have too much to to go on or too much to say. But then the other parts were like you know life things. Um, so let's see. I got fired from one of my jobs uh, working with youth in the Sacramento community. Yeah, well, quit fired. They forced me to quit. I think that that's called fired, but they forced me to quit. Um, And the reason why is, you know, my business, but let's just say it has everything to do with white people and their views of drugs and they like to drug test people and take that for what it is rather than taking in actual science and facts about these said drugs like weed. And let's just say they, uh, I got into a car accident and let's just say they drug test me after I got into that car accident. And let's just say that the drug test that came back had some weed in it, obviously. And let's just say that I was not high while this was happening. Let's also just say that uh, science tells us that weed stays in your system for up to 30 days, up to 60 or 90 if you are a heavy smoker, as am I. Um, And let's just say that my job didn't give a fuck about that. And they, uh, let's just say, told me that I had to quit. Because let's also just say their drug policy was very ambiguous and really only pertains to the white people that they wanted to pertain to and not to the black or brown people that it actually affects. So, yeah. I got, I got quit fired, but it's all good. You know, this is also at the time of the pandemic where like they were just handing out money to motherfuckers like for, for being unemployed. So I also got a lot of money. The, you know, the EDD didn't come after me and I hope they don't come after me now, but um, yeah, it wasn't my fault that I had to leave my job. My job honestly could have kept me, but they decided that they were going to fire me. Um, And so, or they decided that that's what they were going to do unless I quit. So then I quit, but I, I was forced to, 
you know what I'm trying to say either fucking way that's what happened and so you know I was good I was able to pay my rent and then some I actually ended up like you know getting some new decorations I had like you know pretty good pretty good things and I also saved up and it was really great um so in addition to that, I ended up getting another job and that job was literally hell. Um, but I stuck it out because I applied to grad school. And so, yes, y'all, I am in grad school right now. I'm at the University of Michigan School of Social Work and I am loving every minute of it. I mean, last semester I did have a professor that like really honestly tried to test me when it came to like power and privilege. And I literally told her that, you know, she does have a a power. She has power and she has privilege and she had the audacity to tell me that she was a social worker. And I was like, bitch, I am too. So new, new things. Um, so yeah, other than that, other than her and other than her class, I enjoyed the fuck out of myself. I loved every minute of my, of my time, um, last semester and this semester I'm still in it. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it's taken me so long for me to come back. But also, you know, like I said, I was lazy. Um, and I didn't really have too much to talk about, but you know, today, actually this entire week, I literally have been getting signs upon signs upon signs for me to just come back and to read you niggas, because I just feel like this is this topic of what I want to talk about. Um, which I decided the name of this episode while um, <laughs> while I was, you know, going through this before I even started High Times, which is called It's More Than Just Titties. Um, I just feel that after watching P-Valley, but even before then, I feel like we've been having this constant conversation around men and their views of women and what women should be doing or what women shouldn't be doing with their bodies, but specifically their views about about naked women and and what their lives are like and what what's been going on over here and what's going on over there you know we're just gonna have a whole entire we're gonna have a whole entire conversation of it and we're also gonna dive into um one of your favorite movies no longer one of mine uh poetic justice and we're gonna talk about the entire misogynistic view of life but um i wanted to give you all a little bit of an update on where i was at and why it's been it's been a minute um a last bit of my update before we dive into uh the titties i'm actually leaving my apartment yeah i am moving from apartment 69 yes um so i'm no longer going to be here um i am actually going to move back to southern california um y'all niggas don't need to know specifically where like you know, mind your business. But, you know, I'm moving back to Southern California and I'm really excited to do that because I'll be around my friends and my family. Um, I feel like Sacramento has treated me very well since I've been up here, um, but I no longer need to be up here, especially if jobs are just going to, you know, quit fire me and push me out or fire me as well. <laughs> We're going to have an entire episode about um, just the navigation of women of color in working spaces specifically in um social services specifically situation i said that already um so we're gonna have an entire thing about navigating through um white working spaces there we go that's those are the words those are the words i hope you're sticking with sticking with me i'm obviously doing this freehand today because i really do need to say this in the ways that i i need to say it. and i i feel like if i wrote it out i was going to miss things so either way i'm moving from apartment 69 and i'm moving back to southern california but i'm gonna take apartment 69 as a metaphor so i'm gonna keep the name don't worry guys don't worry i'm gonna keep the name thoughts from apartment 69 and i really like i said if you've been following me this entire time you all will know that this was my apartment but 
Also, at the same time, it's going to be a metaphor for my brain. I feel like this apartment has been a true staple for my independence, for my adulthood, for my growth, for me really coming into a, a, a home that I can actually call home. Um, and me having full control over how the walls are, are going to be built um, in the space without having to deal with the opinions of others. And so, like I said, true independence. Um, I turned 27 here. I turned 28 here. And I got a cat now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about him. Yeah. He's sleeping right now. So let's let's please not wake him up. He is a ball full of energy, just like his mama. But still... Let's not wake him up. This nigga's wild. Either way. Um, so yeah, I have a cat now. I've had plants that I've kept alive for a while. You know, I learned how to cook in my Instapot. I learned how to sew some things together, like patches. Um, not really like a skirt yet. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to do that, but I've learned so much while I was here about myself, about about everything. And also I've started this podcast while I was here. You know, and so again, like I said, I have learned so much about Alex while I was here and, you know, wherever God wants to take me and whatever journey that he wants to take me on, I am literally doing the faith walk and I am leading blindly. So, uh, or following blindly, either one, either leading, following, I don't know. We're holding each other's hands and we're walking together down this tightrope, whatever that looks like. So I am happy with this journey. I'm happy with wherever it's going to take me. But before I left, I felt like it would be nice to, you know, christen. But christen is more about like, you know, joining uh, or coming in or beginning something. But I think it would be really nice. It was going to be really nice for me to do an episode before I left the space and went into um, my new space. So, yes, you all are so welcome. There have been people like lately that have been talking about my podcast. Um, and I really appreciate everybody that listens to to everything that I have to say. I know I sound crazy. I hate using that word. Um, let me change it. I know I sound wild um, all of the time. And I have so many different opinions and so many things to say all at the same time. So I really appreciate everyone who is listening now, who has listened in the past and, um, who will listen in the future. Uh, because literally I started this just so that way I can get some things off my chest because you niggas is wild as fuck, wild as fuck wild as fuck. No, I'm just, I'm done. I'm done. Um, so let's just go ahead and get into the episode for today, which again, like I said, I'm doing freehand because I really do need to get this out. So hopefully I do not take too long and do not take too much time out of your day. Some people like really like the sound of my voice and really like to hear me. I thought that was also very weird. Um, but you know, Hey, as long as I'm not boring you niggas, we're good. So the title of this week's episode is called It's More Than Just Titties. Besides P-Valley, I got this concept from multiple signs just around this topic surrounding the hypocrisy and misogyny. Like I said, God has been like speaking to me. Something told me the other day to watch a very classic Black film called Poetic Justice. If you forgot, this month is Black History Month. Woo woo. I mean, if you did forget, I'm... <laughs> I can't blame you. You know, we're in, the, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but also at the same time, I just feel like white people like, and a lot of corporations have kind of ruined this holiday or ruined this specific month for us, but it is what the fuck it is. It is back Black History Month, and it's not just about our oppression. It's about celebrating our strength. Boom. 
So I don't know if you all have noticed, but every streaming service, like again, like these corporations, have been highlighting nothing but black movies, black TV shows, shit that we ain't never heard of and or seen in a while, like All About the Benjamins. Um, just a quick story. I went on my bi my biannual black movie binge uh, before February. So like a little bit, I believe like it was like literally that weekend before I was packing up my house and um, I went on a little black movie binge. It's just really something that's good to put in the background, but also like with my new critical eye, I just, you know, just wanted to watch them. Give my, give myself a new perspective. Like literally, literally the week before, <laughs> the weekend before uh, Black History Month ended up starting. So of course, none of these streaming services like Netflix or Hulu or, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Now I have HBO Max, so not even HBO Max even had any of these movies readily available. So I had to use Amazon Prime in order for me to find these movies. And of course, even on Amazon Prime, none of them are like actually like free. So you have to rent them. Yeah, Amazon Prime is like kind of like a little bit of a scam, but it is what it is. So I decided I wanted to watch and I rented hella movies and I kind of regret that. <laughs> um, so I uh, rented Love and Basketball. I rented The Wood. I rented Best Man. I rented Best Man Holiday. I even rented Bad Boys. Um, I kind of, you know, don't even know why I did that one. Uh, but the first one is way better than all the rest of the sequels. Um, I went back and watched the sequels and I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, the first one is way better. Even though I like two, I like the concept of two. I think that two was shot better and it just has a, a different feel. But I also think that one gives it a little bit more like, you know, a cop feel if you like cops, you know, or you like the way cops are played. But we have a whole, I have a whole other episode that I really want to talk about where it's like basically like stop playing or stop portraying cops the way we want them to be portrayed. And instead, um, we actually do need to show cops for the way that they actually are. So I believe like shows like The Wire really do a good job at that, but either way. So I was really, really, really mad. And again, like I said, I re kind of regret this um, because when Black History Month started, a whole bunch of these black movies came and were available on all of these streaming sites. Love of Basketball is on HBO Max. Um, I believe that Eve's Bayou is actually on uh, Hulu now. So again, like a lot of these movies were now and are now readily available and are free. I'm pretty sure until the end of this month, which is the shortest month. So it makes it really easy for these companies to be able to buy it for, you know, 28 days and call it a day. Um, so Either way, I spent a shit ton of money on this shit, um, even though it wasn't a shit ton. It was, you know, it was money and I shouldn't have spent any money on it. And I'm kind of upset that I didn't wait, you know, just one fucking week in order for me to do this. But regardless of it, Poetic Justice was also one of those movies that was advertised and it has been advertised a lot this month. So um, God and Xfinity told me to watch it. Yeah. So I pulled it up and I felt so happy and nostalgic when I sat down and I started watching it. Because this was honestly, I'll get to that. You know, I'll explain it now. It, this movie actually was one of my favorite movies. Um, besides all the movies that I mentioned before, Poetic Justice is one of those movies that you, it's really hard to find if, you know, you don't already have it like on DVD and or on, um, on VHS and or, you know, bought on Amazon. 
Um, so if you don't have the movie readily available for you, it's actually really hard to find um, just like any other Spike Lee movie that he's ever created. Um, so I was really happy that the movie was readily available and that it was free and I could go and find it and stream it. So it's, you know, and I was really, really happy. Like I said, I was really happy uh, when I sat down and I started watching it. And then it took me about 30 minutes for me to pause the movie and go off, like literally yelling at the screen. I, I just, after about an hour, I literally just stopped. Like I completely was done. I was like literally done with the movie. My critical lens would not allow me to complete it. It just would not allow me to complete, complete it. Good or bad, hey, I don't know. I personally just could not. So the next day I was on Instagram, just scrolling like most of you who's, and I came across one of the Shade Room's posts. Um, it was a screenshot of a tweet made by Safari. For those of you that don't know Safari, this is amazing, actually. I'm actually really proud of you that you don't know who he is and that you've never even heard of him. Um, you probably heard when I said Safari that I um, was thinking of an actual Safari, you know, one of those... Um, things that white people really like to do is like roam around Africa and figure out which animals they want to like, you know, kill and take home or whatever. So um, yeah, no, not that safari, but an actual person named safari with two E's at the end instead of an I makes it even more fun and more unique, more individual. So um, for those of you that don't know who safari is, um, he is Nicki Minaj's ex-boyfriend and her husband. I think they were married, but who feels like Googling that information? Just know that the nigga is famous because of her. And some other things that, you know, we're going to get into. So Safari wrote a tweet that said, and I quote, New millennium is crazy now. Back in the day, you had to close your eyes and imagine what a girl you liked looked like naked. Now almost every girl is naked just because. I got to make sure my daughter is different. She needs me. Heart emoji end quote. We're going to break this down really quick. Okay. New millennium. Nigga, 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 new. It's been crazy. Okay. The millennium was 21 years ago. Where in the absolute fuck have you been? Okay. Back in the day, back in the day, back in in the day, nigga, you're 39 years old, about to turn 30 on the white man's Independence Day. Nigga, back in the day, the internet existed. You were a kid when the song Back in the Day came out. So you were not wishing to be a kid again because you were a kid. I just feel like anyone that's born in the 80s has no right to say back in the day. Nigga, we're not that far apart in age. I'm 28, you're 39, and I know that there's like literally a decade and some change of a difference. But my nigga, back in the day, back in the day, and also by the time the, the millennium started for the rest of us, okay, you were 19. So nigga, back in the day doesn't exist for you, okay? Back in the day does not exist for you. You had to close your eyes and imagine what a girl looked like naked. Sure, nigga. Sure. You, like most 15-year-olds today, have to close their eyes and imagine the person they like naked. Actually, nigga, most people have to close their eyes and imagine what the person they like, they like looks like naked. It's definitely not a requirement on IG or Facebook 
to add and make a picture. Like it's not like name, Naima, age, 21, profile pic, put it up, naked pic, okay. So it's not like that, nigga. So I'm kind of confused as to like what you're talking about here. Um, The next part just boggles me even more. Now, almost every girl is naked just cause. I'm sorry, nigga, but like you, Remember I said Safari was famous for something other than Nicki Minaj. Yeah. Well, he is very famous for his naked pictures. I'm pretty sure any of you could Google right now, Safari, again, with two E's, penis. And his big, long, gigantic dick is going to be right there in your motherfucking face. It will show the fuck up. It will show up. It will show up. I mean, it was so trendy among a whole slew of people that this nigga even created an entire dildo line that was made and shaped after his own fucking dick. I'm really not joking. I am not joking. Yeah, I'm pretty sure his daughter can find it. And I'm pretty sure she can find her mama's nudes as well. Because get this, my friends, get this. He and his wife have an OnlyFans account together. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, y'all, I'm trying to figure out the next part of this statement, um, which is I got to make sure my daughter is different. From what I know, your daughter doesn't have any naked pictures online. Thank God, right? Because that would be some weird shit. But something else I noticed here was why, if your daughter was a consenting adult like you and your wife, would it be bad for her to do what she likes to do for money or for fun or for fame or for notoriety or for the fact that she just loves her body? Like, are you afraid like T.I. that your daughter is going to flaunt after her body like you flaunt after women? Are you afraid that she is not going to have choice? Do you think that she, that if she was naked on the internet, that she wasn't going to have choice? Ah, yep, 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 that's right. You think women who are naked on the internet have no choice, are only doing this for daddy issues, right? Nothing was wrong with naked pictures when you were putting them up, but, and your wife, don't, let's not forget her too. Um, and when you were also posting with your wife naked, uh, nothing was wrong with your wife posting by herself and or with you or with any other person. Um, so, and, 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 and it's not weird when she is naked around you, but at the bottom line, it seems like every other man who likes black women that their bodies are somehow created and are only there for their pleasure and their enjoyment. And now that you have a daughter who is a human being, you want her to be subjected to this, you don't want her to be subjected to the same objectification and standards that you currently uphold for other women. So somehow in here, somewhere in between these lines, you think that by changing your daughter and making her different, that she will not be subjected to what you currently believe is worth fucking or marrying. No, 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 no. I, I, 
I am so tired of cisgender heterosexual men dictating what women can and cannot do. I am so exhausted with the narrative that Black women need to change in a world in which we have no control. And so this 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 is definitely a scene. This is definitely seen throughout the movie Poetic Justice, specifically with each one of its men. Yes, Tupac included, nigga. And the ways in which women are treated even in the writing. So let's get to this. Poetic Justice was written and directed by legend film director John Singleton, rest in peace. And it was released in 1983, so Safari was 12. And it stars some very big hitters. Um, I already mentioned Tupac as one of the main characters, but counter to him is Janet Jackson, boom, Regina King, legend, and Joe Torrey, who plays Chicago. The movie mostly follows these four characters and sets a stage for a weird-ass love story between Tupac, who plays Lucky, and Janet Jackson, who plays Justice. And the movie features poems by Maya Angelou that are narrated by justice so you see the poetic justice that is literally the only reference as to why the movie is called what it is called i mean there is no other reason that i can think of other than that literally the poems and the fact that her name is justice um either way justice's best friend is played by regina king um who is named aisha or isha and lucky works with his friend uh chicago at the post office um and they make it very clear that they're just work friends uh halfway or at the end of the movie even though these niggas play like their best friends either way chicago was played by joe tory so there are some other uh, heavy features in this film. Um, and to be honest, I think they got Janet Jackson and Tupac and like everyone else who does music kind of just tagged along on this. So um, besides my Angelou actually featuring herself in this, um, and again, if Justice is writing her poems, and I guess she doesn't exist. Um, but besides Maya Angelou, Ice-T is in the movie um, without Coco. And legendary rapper and musician Q-Tip is also in the movie. Uh, if you don't know who Q-Tip is, I just I don't feel like explaining that to you. But just look it up. Google is your best friend here. Google is your best friend. There are some other famous Black people featured in this uh, just as much, um, but I really feel like this movie was super influenced by the fact that there are a lot of famous people in it, um, and that's probably why it's really good trash. Um, so either way, either way, either way. So instead of going scene by scene and line by line, I want to go character by character and talk about the major problematic scenes that happen between each relationship. Now, y'all, I'm not a professional film connoisseur. I am just a social worker and a fan, and I've been told I'm very wise. So, you know, don't judge me. But I swear, y'all, I'm going to make a point about Safari and his daughter. So stick with me and stay tuned, okay? So let's start with Justice. I really don't know the point of her character. I know that's a very unpopular opinion, um, but there's a reason why I say that, because uh, she doesn't do anything. I guess that she may be introverted because she doesn't talk. 
like at all besides like the narrations of the poems but like other than that she rarely really really she rarely talks and it's clear that she's mad and i guess you know you know why just based off of the first scene in the first scene her boyfriend and or and or the dude that she was talking to um was shot right in front of her at the drive-in movie theater so i guess that would make anybody mad or upset or you know look at this i don't give a fuck attitude i guess um but the movie doesn't really explain who shot him or specifically why they shot him um like was he in a gang or was he a drug dealer was he in the wrong place wrong time was it really him we don't know it literally only brings up it shows that part and it brings up this this entire scene like once once one other time one other time other than that she rarely talks about it so I guess she's grieving from that, which I mean, even if she wasn't really into the nigga, that shit is some traumatic ass shit. That's just traumatic as fuck. Like, like not that long ago, literally like about a week ago. Hey, no, it was literally like two weeks ago or so. Um, I, Somebody got shot right outside my apartment window, like literally right outside my apartment window at like two, three o'clock in the morning. And just me hearing the shots and hearing him like plead to get somebody to call the ambulance um, and hearing him groan on the fucking ground and seeing his blood and seeing all of that stuff. Like that's some traumatic ass shit. I don't even know how in the fuck I'm dealing with it. I was crying like a little bitch. No, I'm just kidding. I was crying reasonably because I don't know if I'm like an empath and I don't even really know it, but I really honestly felt the energy in the space. And that again was some traumatic shit. So, um, and you know, just videos of, of seeing black men face down and shot is something that it just we see all the time it, we see all the time and for me to be desensitized to that um just by watching it through a video is one thing but it actually happening right in front of you regardless if it was by the police or by, by anybody else it just brought up a lot of things for you so again if i was justice i mean i fucking get it the nigga was shot right in fucking front of her like and with nobody around to help her like she's literally screaming and people are running so um i get it it's some traumatic shit so throughout the beginning she is just an average black woman walking to work um and she is a hairstylist and i guessed a poet at this i mean they really don't go into detail about her dreams or aspirations like does she want to be a poet does she want to be a hairstylist again we don't know just as barely talks again i'm going to repeat that again uh she barely barely talks and when she does she tells you that she is um a, an average girl from the hood i don't really know they don't really give her anything other than that um but the fact that they really 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 honestly did try to push janet jackson to be a girl from the hood like she rolls her neck she chews gum a lot a lot a lot a lot i was thinking like shit like after her chewing gum my jaw got tired like you know that's how much she chews gum. Um, but she even forces colloquial colloquialisms like, uh, girl, you got the hair and uh-uh, Isha, and shit like that. You know, you know exactly what the fuck I'm saying. Um, it doesn't seem authentic at all. At all. So um, again, other than her advocating for herself to Tupac, she really has no personality, no depth. 
Jamie Foxx said that to Beyonce and Dreamgirls, and I always liked the way he said that. I mean, although it's like a really fucked up statement, I just love the way he said it. He was like chewing his food and he's just like, you know why I chose you for lead? Because you have no personality, no depth. <laughs> Shit, damn. Um, so <laughs> who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Um, so, but you know what? There is another part where I really love Beyonce um, in which she says, she says, who cares? I'll start over. Effie did it and so can I. I love the way that she says that as well. I just, I don't know. I love Dream Girls. Maybe we could do an episode about Dream Girls uh, specifically. Um, but you see how I, I really don't care about Justice's character. I, I just, I don't. So um, <laughs> moving on to someone who really does have complexity, Aisha. So Aisha is my favorite character. Um, and the reason why is because she is so complex. Okay. So let's not give any credit to John Singleton here. I really honestly feel like Regina King is a professional and she knew her role. Okay. Regina gave Isha more range and allowed her to be someone who we give a fuck about. Okay. So, uh, I mean, even when she is written to be overshadowed by her light skinned best friend, she comes out and is determined to be her character. Um, so maybe to the detriment of John Singleton, Isha is written as a stereotypical black woman. She gossips, she's loud, she plays in her hair, she dances for her man, she claps back at him and all of this other stuff. If she was played by anyone else, like for real, for real, like he would have gotten away with that because she is written as somebody who like literally belittles her boyfriend and shouldn't be taken seriously. Um, but Regina King brings so much life to that character and she brings out like all of the wonderful things that people love about black women and all of the wonderful things that, you know, her character and her personality really, really was. So I honestly give it up to Regina King over the writing of the character itself. Um, and like I said, somebody who wouldn't be taken seriously at all, um, Isha is definitely the most abused. Um, and this is obviously because she is a dark-skinned Black woman, um, not necessarily because um, of her character and the roles that she plays, but, you know, she is definitely, even when it's acknowledged or subconscious or conscious that we're, like, really bringing this up, like, she's the most abused because she is a dark-skinned Black woman, okay? So... She is overall ignored by Lucky. Like he doesn't acknowledge her presence at all. And when he does talk about her, he calls her crazy. Um, and she is frequently policed by Justice, um, again, which is Janet Jackson's character. So very simply by telling, um, it, 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 it starts very simply. You know, the policing starts very simply by Janet Jackson. Um, it starts by telling her to stop playing in her head. Girl, stop playing in your head. That's literally how she says it. Girl, if you don't tell me, girl, if you don't, girl, if you don't get, if you get some alcohol, you know how you get when you're drunk, like stuff like that. Like the constant policing over her. And then it becomes bigger things like the scene at the family reunion. Um, which, hold on, let me pause here. I really hope that you all go back and watch this. There's a lot of spoilers in here. Um, and like I said, I'm just going to go like to the most problematic scenes that I noticed. Um, but, you know, you can still find this until the end of Black History Month if you really do want to go back and watch it, which I suggest that you do. So that way I I can personally take credit for all of the ruining that I've done for this movie for you. 
Um, but no, so that way you can formulate your own opinion. And so that way you can grapple with all of the things that I'm going to highlight today. So there's a scene at this family reunion um, when she was when Justice grabbed Isha for talking to another man who might, I add, just walked up to her. And might I add that Maya Angelou and her respectability politics character said that she was flitty. Yes, flitty, which is flirty and loose. Yeah. So this guy walked up to her and Maya Angelou called Isha flitty and loose. So in response to what the elders were saying, Justice got up and she ran over there and grabbed Isha by her arm and pulled her away from the sky. And she said, girl, what are you doing? Don't you know Chicago is going to whoop your ass over this? Don't you know he's going to beat you? I'm thinking you're not going to ask her if she's okay. Like she's obviously drunk and uh, maybe she needs some water. Like instead of victim blaming her to protect her from domestic violence, why don't you just help her get to a safe place? Like you don't even know what this guy was saying to her. He might've been asking her for some fucking gum. I mean, it was like literally two fucking seconds. two fucking seconds. It's not like, you know, it's it, nothing was really happening. Um, so I noticed that a lot of the women in this movie really do hone in on the fact that whatever action that we do at all needs to be for a man. Um, and I, I really don't even know if that was like intentional or if like John Singleton was trying to like, I don't know how to write women. So this is probably what women talk about. Um, so uh, again, here's another example. When Justice was clearly grieving, right? She saw a nigga get shot in front of her. So like, damn, right? Um, she was told multiple times that she needed to hurry up and get better so that way she can find another man. Yeah. So like it came up so much like Tupac tells her that she needs to smile so she can get a man. And the reason why she's not smiling is because she ain't got no man. Her boss tells her that she needs to dress up for a man. Isha even questions why she doesn't even date or why she doesn't want to date. It's like, damn, y'all, like let the girl get her cosmetology license and write these whack ass poems and at least be happy on her own. Like she doesn't need to be with a man. Like why does every woman have to, um, you know, end up being with a man, you know, like why does every woman in this movie specifically have to have their lives end when, you know, <laughs> when they're not with a man, when they're single. Um, so it, it's not about being with a man. It's not about satisfying a man or taking care of a man. And that's literally what was portrayed consistently throughout this movie. Um, I'm just like, geez. And you know, why, why does every woman in this movie and in life have to end up being with a man, satisfying a man or taking care of a man? I'm talking to all you hating ass motherfuckers who came after Miss Chloe Bailey. Yeah, all of y'all. Like, damn, y'all, let the girl express herself, regardless if it was sexually, regardless if she was dressed up miss like Sisters Mary Clarence, like, regardless if she was singing some childhood-ass songs, like, it's really, 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 really annoying to be hit in every single direction, that you're not good enough as you are, and you were only better or different, or you need to be different for a man. I emphasize the word different here. So with that being said, let's talk about Chicago's bitch ass. So Chicago, like I said, 
like Lucky, works at the post office. Um, Chicago is short, dark-skinned, and is the type of nigga that brushes, that has a brush in his hand and always brushes his fade. I know you know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? I know you can envision it, even if you haven't seen this movie or not. The nigga with this brush in his hand who is always brushing his fade. And niggas today, like, you know, maybe you're like, okay, well, maybe not his hair, but I'm pretty fucking sure you know a nigga that has a brush in his hand that loves to brush his motherfucking beard a lot. It's like, leave that shit alone, nigga. It's fine. It is fine. It's okay. Okay, it's my own. It's my own things. Um, from what I observed a lot when it comes to men and the use of their brush, it's like a coping mechanism to help with their social anxiety in public. It's like someone who shakes their leg. It, it helps them with you know their sentences and or you know to feel like they're in the space or to make them feel okay. And I honestly feel like John Singleton was really, really trying to get that point across when it came to Chicago. Like that was really good visual representation or visual symbolization. There we go, not representation, regardless, words. Either way, um, so he was really trying to symbolize that Chicago is very, very insecure. Um, he is obsessed with his outward appearance so that way people don't pry. Yeah, so I'm not saying that all niggas that like brush their, their beards all the time are like that, but specifically Chicago's character was written in that way. So he's very obsessed with the way that he looks. Um, so, you know, his fashion game is on point. He goes to the gym so that way he can look buff. So niggas won't ask him questions that would reveal that he's a bitch ass nigga. And women won't ask questions that would reveal that he is a bitch ass nigga. So this comes up frequently when he talks to Tupac. So he's always bringing up the fact that he has his, he has many women, even though he's dating Isha, um, that he fucks these girls like every other day and that he has his relationship with Isha under control. I emphasize the control there because that's literally how he acts. Like he feels like he can control Isha and that he has her under control, even though she is constantly telling this nigga that like she's her own person and that like, you know, she is autonomous and she can make her own decisions. But he really honestly feels like he needs to be able to control that because if he can control, you know, his hair, he can control his fashion, he can control his outward appearance, then he needs to be able to control the women that are in his life, which is also very fucking weird. But a lot of uniques do it. So on the outside, he is very, very put together. Um, so that's why he's brushing his fade all the time. So um, he doesn't seem to work at all, at all, um, and leaves a lot of that shit up to Lucky. I mean, like, okay, so they are on the way up to Oakland from LA to, um, to drop some mail off. Like again, like they work at the post office. So they go on these missions um, every once in a while together where they drive up from LA to Oakland to drop some mail off and they make a trip out of it. So um, they bring some girls, they bring alcohol, they stop, they go here, they go there, just like friends would do. Um, so it seems like the entire time Tupac is driving the van. Like it doesn't seem like they ever switch or that they ever want to switch. Like Tupac is never in the back of the van. He's always in the front of the van. Like he's driving the entire time. And um, it seems like, again, this goes back to the control thing that 
Chicago really likes to dictate when they stop, how long they how long they stay when they do stop, if they do stop at all. Like he really li- like he puts that as an emphasis, especially towards the end of the movie when, you know, John Singleton is trying to um, dehumanize him or no, I don't want to say that he's not dehumanizing him. He's trying to really show the audience that he's not as good of a guy as you think he is. Um, but either way, they don't switch off at all. Um, and it doesn't seem like he likes to work. And that that specifically comes up with his relationship with Isha as well. Um, it seems like he's only putting in like half of the work, especially when it comes to their sex life. Um, I'm going to explain that that later, but it just seems like working is only the half of it. You know, he doesn't, he wants to say that he has this job and he works at this job so that way he can like pay for these things, of course, right? But, you know, it seems like a lot of the things that he really does have in his life and the things that he wants to have in his life and the things that he wants to control are the things that are easiest to control, like his outward appearance, his hair, um, his body, and the women he allows to come in and out of his life. Um, And so even when that comes to that control environment that he creates or that controlling environment that he creates, um, like I said, that really does include Isha. Yeah, like you heard me right earlier, like he fucks other women, even though he has somebody who he is, quote unquote, committed to. Um, And so, for example, um, and it's like, it's not even just like, for example, like somebody that he's like saying that he's committed to somebody he's telling her that he is committed to like. He is mad disrespectful to this girl. He is mad disrespectful to her. Um, so, for example, he when he first meets Justice and or when he saw Justice again, um, when they have the scene, first scene together, um, instead of saying a simple hi because his girlfriend was present, um, he says, what's up, baby? As if like he was trying to hit, like like he was trying to, you know, spit game, like he was trying to spit, like, you know? And so it's just like, ugh, like while Isha was there, like it's not even like, you know, Justice came out first and Isha went to the bathroom and he's just like, well, what's up, baby? Like, no, Isha was right fucking there. And she checks him. She's just like, baby, like what? Excuse me? Like that's some disrespectful ass shit. So again, if Regina King was not playing her character, Chicago would have gotten away with that. Like he would have gotten away with a lot of shit. Like it wouldn't have made, it wouldn't have been as believable if, or believable and or, for you to be able to see like the mad disrespect that was happening there if Regina King was not playing her character and or if somebody else was playing her that was actually a really, really good actress, like they would have been able to pull that off. But I really feel like Regina King really did pull a level of humanity out of Isha's character that allowed her to be some to allowed her to be someone who is worth being taken seriously. So. um <sighs> it's so hard talking about Chicago because like he's like literally supposed to be the antagonist but like before you even know that he's the antagonist to most people like they would honestly stick up for him right like they would want him to be in their space they know Chicago's that are like that and again like it's because of this like behavior this outward appearance um and a lot of niggas are like this so I mean it's because of these these specific things that make him um I guess human to a lot of people you know, he gets away with a lot of shit and it's not okay. Like none of the things that he does is okay. And if you know a Chicago in your life, like for real, you need to be telling them all the time. You need to constantly check him because I just feel like Chicago is just really irritating, but also representative of a lot of niggas. Like Chicago is that one motherfucker that sits on Instagram 
who um, tells women all day that like, you know, your hair is not long enough and you wish that you look like this light skin, quote unquote, girl, um, and that you look like this, then you look like that. And it's constantly commenting on her body, but like sits there in his mama's basement looking like an Ugmo, right? That's the nigga. So you know exactly who I'm talking about. Like Chicago is that nigga. Um, so in the relationship that he has with Isha, he's constantly looking for her to pet his ego. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's constantly telling her, um, tell me how much you love me. Tell me I'm fine. Oh, I know what women want. And then he shows off his muscles and he's like, these, right? And Isha every single time tells him what he wants, but she also tells him what's up. Like she constantly tells him what's up. And even then when he was showing off his muscles in in that scene, like she touches him and she's like, that ain't shit. Like, you know, like (laughs) she reminds him that he is average and he's really honestly not all that. Like he's just another nigga, but um, he doesn't really understand that he needs to be brought back down to reality. Um, And so just for a second, like men, please stop asking women to provide you with compliments. Like that shit is annoying, okay? Like, I feel like asking questions like, why do you love me is fine. Like, you know what I mean? Because I think that that's like a digging question. That's a very open-ended question that allows you to understand what this person really does want or appreciates about you in your relationship. But the rest of it, like, tell me I'm pretty, like, all of the time is fucking annoying. It's fucking annoying. At least I don't do that. I don't like that shit. It's irritating. And I'm pretty sure there are a lot of women that do not like that shit either. Like I shouldn't have to constantly pet your fucking ego. Like, and you shouldn't have to pet my ego either. I feel like you should know why you're with me and I should know why you're with you. And if you feel like you need that constant validation, then go hire yourself an entourage. Okay. Cause that's, that's, that shit is weird. My nigga, that shit is very weird. Either way. So the relationship of course intensifies with Chicago and East in Isha. Um, at the same time where justice was policing Isha, Chicago sees what's going on. So I'm talking about the, um, about the, uh, family reunion. So when they were at the family reunion, uh, justice was policing Isha and Chicago sees what's going on. And automatically he gets angry and super defensive and pulls her away aggressively. Like he even starts fighting the other dude. And I mean, we don't even know what the conversation between Isha and this rando was like, we don't know anything. And I feel like John Singleton really missed an opportunity to showcase that. Like if you were trying to show that like Isha was, was uh, somebody who abuses alcohol and somebody who uh, might have a problem and is a little bit more, um, promiscuous, I guess. I hate using that word, but I don't have another word to to be able to express this, but a little bit more promiscuous when it comes down to uh, her use of alcohol, then like you honestly should have showed that. But instead it really did look like Isha sat down on this rock, this nigga walked over to her and then two seconds in, now she's being called a hoe and she's being called loose and she's being called flitty and her friends are trying to, or her friend is trying to pull her away and it's telling her that like, you know, she's going to get beat up by her man. Her man comes over and like really honestly tries to hit her because of the fact that this nigga sat down next to her. Like literally, like, y'all, I'm not joking. It was like two fucking seconds. So John Singleton like made it seem, especially with everybody's reaction to it, that Isha was doing something wrong. But in reality, and in actuality, she probably didn't even get a chance to really tell this nigga like, oh, I have a boyfriend. Like really probably didn't even get a chance to do that. So um, again, without that explanation and without 
any of that and the ways that everybody else was reacting, it really seemed like it was okay for Chicago to be that mad, to go with his motherfucking feelings and run with it. Like, so in the, in the van right after that, um, they get into a huge argument. So they leave the, the family reunion and now Chicago and Isha are in the back of the van and, um, Chicago, Chicago felt embarrassed that his girlfriend or someone that he feels that he has possession over um, was talking to another man. Like he yells at her in the van while they left the party. Like he yells at her um, and he's like, why are you embarrassing me when we're out, when we go out? Why don't you know how to act? As well as saying, I don't know why I'm with your drunk pussy ass or your drunk ass pussy, regardless of it. Words, they're mixed in there, but you know what the fuck he said. He said that, like he said, I don't even know why you're with it, why you're, why I'm with you because you're a drunk and this is what all, this is all you do. All you do is flirt with other people and you embarrass me, even though again, like you embarrass yourself, nigga, you walked over there and started acting the goddamn fool without really knowing what the fuck was going on. Didn't ask any motherfucking questions at all. So regardless of it, Isha and her drunk self, like she was drunk, but Isha said something that was very, very, very important here. And I want to highlight it. She said, I don't know why you're with me, nigga. Um... I'm not in the business of keeping niggas that ain't trying to be kept. Yeah, I paused there so that way, you know, I can let that sink in for you all. Um, I thought that even if she was drunk and even for being somebody who was drunk, that was a very, very, very mature thing to say because it's true. First, because John didn't develop any background stories for Isha and her use of alcohol, this was the first time and the only time that you see her drunk. So Justice in Chicago made it a point that she was crazy when she was drunk. But I didn't see any of that at all. Like I said, it was like two seconds. I think that she was drinking, I think she was drinking in appropriate situations. Chicago was drinking as well. And again, like he was working. So, I mean, he had a beer and he was drinking beer. Um, and even though she was drinking glickers, she mixed it with a huge ass bottle of lemonade. There was, they were at a family reunion, which was an appropriate space to drink. Like everybody was drinking and everybody was like having their life. Like, you know, they were living their lives. Like, and like I said, she was sat on this rock and she was minding her business with this nigga came up to her. So I feel like Maya Angelou's character, Justice and Chicago elevated the situation by thinking that she was being too loose and made her become this and made her that that specific um, accusation made her become very angry um, because at the end of the day, she was minding her own business. Yes. So I just think that there was a lack of trust there. I think if we're definitely, um, if we're going to be in a relationship together and anybody's going to be in a relationship with anyone, I think there should be a level of trust that is uh, there and present and available that says that this person is capable of having a conversation with the opposite sex and or the same sex without, you know, wanting to fuck them or um, actually fucking them. I guess, I mean, like, it's not like he caught her sucking this nigga's dick, like, <laughs> it's really honestly like not like like she was doing that like she literally sat on this rock so i feel like the level of trust there um is is lacking um but i also feel like there's an unrealistic expectation that we can control or anybody can control who comes up to you and talks to you because that's you know not a f part of our free will um to control people i don't know uh but you know what? we're we're going to come back to them uh for the climax of this movie so let's talk about Tupac.
So much like Safari, uh, Lucky, which is Tupac's character, is wanting to protect his daughter. From what? I I don't I don't know, y'all. I, I really don't know. You know, I always thought it was the fact that, you know, her baby mama or his baby mama was doing crack and that he was trying to save his daughter from that. But no, 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 no. It was the very scary, no good possibility that his daughter was going to be a hoe like his mama or like her mama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, first it was shown several times before we even found baby Keisha that, um, or we even knew that she existed, that Tupac likes to hit on and talk about women in a very misogynistic way. When he first is introduced, he is hitting on justice at the hair salon. He degrades her for not smiling and simply says that she must ain't got no man because she's angry all the time. Yeah. So Justice replies and asks him, you know, what do you want from me? And he says, well, we can start with your phone number. So Justice does what any self-respecting or self-protecting Black woman would do or woman in general would do. Um, she fucks with him. She plays like she is fucking other girls and that Tupac is not good enough for her and her punani. <laughs> I love the way she says punani. Um, either way. So um, after that, Tupac replies to the diss um, as calling them which is basically uh, Justice and her boss, some crazy bitches. Mm -hmm. Yes. Then at the post office, he is talking to Chicago about yamps, uh, which is translated to young tramps for those of you that didn't know the slang. Uh, yes, young tramps. That's that's what it is. And he is basically trying to get Chicago to ask Isha to bring a friend with her so that way um, he can fuck her or date her. I, I mean, I probably, I'm pretty sure he was not trying to date her. I'm pretty sure he was trying to have a good ass time, which is basically fucking. Um, and you know, that's totally fine. The two consenting adults can have sex if they want to have sex. Um, but what I'm trying to say here is that it was already known before Isha invited this friend and before he can even ask this girl if he wanted to fuck her, um, or ask this girl if she even wanted to fuck that he was trying to fuck, regardless of even knowing who this girl was. And it happened to be Justice, which I mean, she already, he already called her a crazy bitch. So it was going to be a little hard for her, for him to want to fuck, but they end up fucking anyways, which it is what it is. It is what it is. So um, it was a little shocking, but not surprising that he also feels super comfortable walking into his baby mama's house and talking shit about her in front of his daughter. He kept asking her why she was nervous, why she was trying to clean up the house. The house is already fucked up as usual. <laughs> that's what also what he says. <laughs> um, it's not, that's not funny, but yeah, that's literally what he says. I just love the way he says it. Um, he even asks her while she's like nervously, you know, looking around if she was basin, um, which is another way of asking if she's doing crack. Yeah, that's a fucked up question. Um, but she claps back with my favorite line in the entire movie, which is, I don't remember saying I do to any of you two niggas. <laughs> I just love the way that she says, I I do, I do. <laughs> either way, either way, either way. 
So after Tupac, you know, kind of says that, and she says that she didn't say I do to any of these two niggas, which she's talking about Tupac, which is one baby daddy. And then baby daddy number two was also in the in the room and also uh, lives there. Uh, yeah, she lives with baby daddy number two. So he's cool with baby daddy number two. Like he's chumming it up with him. Um, so either way, so he, so she goes back into her room in her house in which she pays for and um now tupac is left with his with his baby and with baby keisha his daughter and baby daddy number two who ends up leaving the room to go you know sell crack and um baby and his baby like so you know keisha's brother so tupac is in there and um you know he does find a crack pipe he finds it in the candy bowl on the coffee table um which is probably what she was looking for while she was out there in the living room um which confirms that she is basin so yes so he gets up and he barges into her room and he finds her hugged up with another nigga this ladies and gentlemen and my fellow trans friends was his last straw yeah so let's back up let's back up let's back up i found it super odd that one his daughter is living with a mother in an apartment with her other baby daddy two that this other baby daddy is also a street pharmacist three that he knows that she has been and is doing crack for however long that she has been Four, that she has been doing crack uh, potentially in front of her daughter and that runs as a safety concern and five that it did not concern him that that was always an issue but what concerns him is that you know he that she that she's uh fucking this other nigga and and six that it didn't concern him at all that you know violently beating this nigga in front of her ass and stripping her from her home where her mother lives was not going to do any potential damage to her psyche and or how she feels about women and how she feels about how women should be treated like he didn't he, he wasn't he wasn't concerned about that at all so in this is this is my question is baby mama not allowed to have sex is she not allowed to have fun i think it would have been weird if she was fucking this nigga while her daughter was in the room i think it would have been weird if she was fucking this nigga and her daughter walked in the room um then I would be like, okay, okay, okay. That I can understand why he would be or feel a little upset about that. Um, but the fact that she was in the other room with her door closed and um, I don't know why it wasn't locked, but it was closed. She was minding her business. Okay. Uh, so, and it didn't seem like, you know, the baby was unsupervised. There is uh, another man who is an adult and who lives here in the house that she's always with. Her daddy was here um, taking care of her. So uh, it's not like she was unsupervised at all. And she honestly looked young enough to sit in front of the TV and watch it. So I, I, I don't even know, y'all. You, you know, you, you didn't even know this nigga was in the room to begin with. You didn't even know he was there. You didn't even know that he was there until you barged into her room. So again, the sense of possession that he felt like he had over his baby mama and her life, as well as the position of painting her like a hoe and a bad mom, because she was sexually liberated, is fucked up. I'm sorry, but like, she was not a hoe when you fucked her, wasn't a hoe when she was having another baby daddy. And that, like, to be honest, that like, you're so chummy with, like, you literally are friends with this nigga. Like, you're okay with the fact that she has another baby daddy. 
Um, but because she's out on the prowl again for another baby daddy, she's a hoe. Also, baby Keisha looked fine. Again, it's not like she was unsupervised, but the house was not fucked up. So I feel like they completely missed an opportunity there. Like they could have had like shit all over the floor. They could have had uneaten sandwiches out. They could have had roaches around, but they didn't have that at all. It literally looked like a normal ass house. It looked like people lived there. That's what I'm saying. Like it did not look fucked up at all. Um, and plus me, plus I've seen some houses that look a little fucked up. And I mean, my house kind of sometimes looks fucked up. And this one looked cleaner than what I've ever seen. So um, I, I don't know. And I believe that she lives with this other baby daddy. Like I said, she does. So why is it up to her to clean up this house? Why isn't it up to him who is also another adult who is also contributing to the rent? Um, and you know, living here, eating up the food and, you know, electricity, water, taking showers, has his own drawer, his own room. Why, why, why isn't he, um, you know, available to clean up this fucking house if it was so fucked up and dirty oh yes patriarchy that's why so Keisha's hair also was done okay she was in her play clothes she was watching cartoons she looked fed I'm sorry but until I, I just I, until we are presented with other evidence as to why it was okay for Lucky to take her out of the home she's not a bad mom it seemed like she was doing her job as a mom so then let, let, let's keep going because then this audacious nigga is going to bring his little baby Keisha to his mama's house the day before he's getting ready to drive up to Oakland. Okay. So it's kind of like, okay, so you're kind of putting this baby off on your mom to watch her for the next two or three days because you got mad at this, at, at, at your baby mama fucking another nigga. That's fucked up. Your mama looked like she had so much other shit to do. She looked like she was a nurse. Who's going to watch Keisha if she's at work? Does she got to stop going to work so that way she can watch Keisha now because you going to go to work? That's fucked up. That is fucked up. That's fucked up. And then when it's brought up that, you know, Keisha's here and that he's going to, you know, he wants to take care of Keisha and he wants to bring her into the house. You know, mama asks, like, are you going to take care of her? And like, he doesn't really answer that question. Like he doesn't answer that at all. Um, but his mama looks like, I, cause I'm, I'm not doing it. Like I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take care of her. And then the scene kind of like moves on. Like it kind of moves on. We never really, it, it's never really addressed like, okay, so are you gonna do that? And what does that look like for you? Um, and so I understand that like, you know, you have a job and that you're, you're consistently like, you know, contributing to Keisha's well-being and, you know, her shoes and her clothes and her hair and all of that. Like you're consistently in her life. Um, but it's different for you to be like dropping in unannounced to go see your daughter than it is for your daughter to be here in the house and you to be taking care of her and you to be the, the full custody parent. Like it, there, there's a complete difference here. So I, 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 I don't know. Um, but that question was never really answered. I guess it was supposed to be assumed to us, the audience, that he was going to take care of her. But then he sits down and he starts playing video games while his mama is sitting like, well, you need to do more. You need to do more with your life because like, if you're going to have your daughter in here, you're going to have to do more. And it kind of just like moves on like, well, he can't do more because he lives in the hood, which I mean, this nigga works at the post office. I mean, unlike popular belief, unlike popular belief, people at the post office get paid pretty well, especially if you're single and you're an adult, even at that time, 
Okay. Like now you can get paid. I think like it's like 20 something an hour or something like to be just a carrier, maybe a little bit more if you're coming in entry level. But if you have like seniority, you can get paid pretty fucking much. Like it's almost damn near $30 an hour. Um, so yeah, my mom works at the post office. So that's how I know about all of that. But still at the same time, I'm just thinking like, if you work at the post office, you're, pre- you're getting paid pretty well. And I get like, you're, you're contributing to the house with your mother and you're paying all her bills and all of that stuff. Um, but I mean, I just feel like you have enough to be able to like go find yourself an apartment, especially in this time, go find yourself an apartment and and take care of your child the way that you want to take care of your child. Not necessarily like bringing her to the house and being like, oh yeah, I'm going to take care of her now. Like that's not how it really works, nigga. Like even if it is, that's how it works. Like you need to be able to like talk to your mama before you go grab Keisha and and talk about what plans are going to look like when it comes to childcare. It looks like you work a full-time job. She work a full-time job. Who's going to take care of her? You know what I mean? It seemed like mama was at, her, at the house most of the day. So I just feel like you're not kind of taking those things into consideration because at the end of the day, if you're not trying to go to court and get full custody of, of your of baby Keisha, just so that way, you know, she can legally live with you and without her having to go back and forth with visitations to go see her mother, then you are going to have to rely on the mother who you know is doing crack, who you don't want your daughter to be influenced by sexually, like, which is also very fucking weird. So like, you're still going to have to rely on mama to be able to take care of Keisha, which again, I mean, I don't know why he didn't bring this part up or why this wasn't like mentioned. Like you bring baby Keisha up and you're like, okay, he's a caring father, quote unquote caring. Um, even though like, it's like, how is he caring? Like he's beating niggas in front of her. Like he's yelling at his mama or at her mama, like disrespecting her, like not even really giving a fuck about the other women in her life and his life. He even yells at his mama about the fucking bills. Like, he's just like, I pay the bills in this motherfucker. I'm allowed to smoke in this house. And it's just like, why are you talking to your mama like that? Regardless if you pay the bills in this motherfucker or not, it's your motherfucking mama's house. I mean, that's, that's the motherfucking truth. Okay, so I mean, again, like I said, you can go find yourself an apartment which you can smoke all motherfucking up through that motherfucker. But until until then, you do live in your mama's house and you always have. So like respect that space. You can always stop paying the bills. You can always go find your something else to do, nigga. Like go find something else to do. But regardless of it, I'm really I'm really sad that like, you know, John Singleton didn't bring that part up. Like he didn't he didn't bring up the complexities of parenthood here, um, especially um, co-parenting here. Um, and I know for sure I ain't got no kids and oh God, please don't ever let that happen. Um, but specifically I've worked with a lot of people that do have kids and this is a constant conversation. Like you have to be in communication with the other party in order for you to be able to take care of your kids, especially when it comes down to childcare, money, food, attention. Like there is a lot there. There's a lot there. So, um, Again, like he has the means to be able to take care of himself on his own. Um, and I just feel like he really doesn't want to do that. Like I said, like it, it moves over and it kind of it kind of moves past that. You know, we don't really get to see, you know, Tupac actually respond to like how he's actually going to take care of his daughter, what that's actually going to look like. So it seems like he pawned off his, his responsibilities to take care of his daughter, you know, that weekend onto his mother to go up to fucking Oakland to go see his cousin uh, so, so that way they can talk about music 
to come back and pawn off this baby to fucking Janet Jackson, who has literally said she ain't want no motherfucking kids. Like she said that I don't want kids. I don't even like kids. And so at the end of the movie, he literally brings her into the salon and is just like passing her off as like, and I'm sorry. He really doesn't even say sorry. He doesn't apologize for the way that he treated justice, not just throughout the entire movie, but like even in that scene where like he tells her that she was the reason that, you know, he was late to go see the cousin. Cause if he was able to go, if he was there earlier, then his cousin wouldn't have gotten shot and all that extra bullshit. Like, nigga, I don't even know your cousin. And I barely fucking know you. Like, stop blaming me for bullshit. But regardless of it, he brings in, you know, his daughter to go meet Justice, even though he barely knows this girl. And he's basically trying to find himself a baby mama, like a, a stepmom, so that way he doesn't have to take care of his baby. And it's like, what, what was the point of you actually taking Keisha? I honestly feel like Keisha was way better off in her in her mama's house Okay, like living it up, watching fucking cartoons with her brother and somebody who actually gave a fuck about her with her daddy dropping by whenever the fuck he feels like he's going to he's going to like, you know, I feel like she was way happier there than she was going to be if you kind of come in and out of her life and bring all these bitches in. You don't even know who the fuck justice is. We don't even know who justice is. Again, the bitch doesn't do anything. So, I mean, it's just kind of like why <sighs> niggas, niggas, niggas and it's passive ass parenting <sighs> anyways. In addition to his parenting style, um, he keeps Chicago. He keeps Chicago like friends. Like he keeps people like Chicago in his life. Um, and he talks to Justice like she is worthless. Um, so when they meet again um, for the second time, he basically tried to talk to her, but instead of actually like, you know, starting up a conversation like, hey, how are you? What was the reason why you couldn't get up there? Oh, it seemed like you had car trouble. Maybe when we get back, like I can take a look at it. If he like, you know, is into cars, if he's not, that's totally fine. But you know, uh, maybe, you know, I have somebody or like, you know, talking to the re talking to her about like normal ass shit. But no, of course not. Of fucking course not. He basically talks to her just so that way he can insult her. Justice does not want to talk. Okay, so her body language is already there. She puts on her sunglasses and turns her entire body to look out the window. Yeah, she turns her entire body to look out the window. And honestly, I would be mad too if my car broke down and I had to rely on this nigga who was mad disrespectful to get me where I needed to go. Sound familiar? Does it sound familiar, ladies and, and my trans friends? Yes, yes, like, like Uber? Yeah, anyways... So she asks why, he asks her, like, why is she so quiet? And she responds with, I don't have anything to say. And instead of being a decent stranger, he tells her that she is mean, asks her again why she is mean, um, asks her what happened to her to make her so mean, and then proceeds to call her a bitch. And so Justice rightfully is pissed and tells him to pull over the to pull over the vehicle so that way she can get the fuck out. And he tells her while she's out on the street and saying that she's going to find somebody to fuck him up. He says, "It's good that you're going to walk because you need to slim down your fat ass thighs." <sighs> Ooh. Me personally, this is to be this is 
where I stopped the first time when I went when I when I watched the first time. This is where I, this is where I stopped. I could not. I was like, I just can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this because I don't like the way that he's talking to her. This is so mad. This is disrespectful as fuck. All she wanted to do was just sit in this fucking car and drive all the way the fuck up to Oakland. That's all the fuck she wanted to do. She didn't want to sit here and talk to this nigga. She didn't want to have a conversation with him. She literally said, I don't have anything to say. So kind of take that for what it is. But no, you you literally tell her that a walk is good for her because she needs to slim down her fat ass thighs. So, um, me personally, I would not have gotten back in that vehicle. Like I, for real would have found out a way to get there or to get to Oakland or to go back home because I was not going to get back into that vehicle. Fuck him for real, for real, like for real, for real. This man with a daughter talks to women this way. I'm going to bring up this point again, because we need to further this. Let's, 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 let's further this. Chicago and Isha get into another argument after having sex, you know, in the back of the van where, you know, they were moving and driving uh, and, you know, Lucky and Justice are in the front seat um, now at this point actually getting along. Um, But now Isha and Chicago are fucking in the back seat. Um, And if you have seen this movie and you are a cishet black man, I know that you are going to tell me right now that Isha was wrong and that she was emasculating Chicago, okay? Like, and and so here we go. First of all, niggas, I'm still struggling with the term emasculating. Um, I'm still trying to fit that into the cases in which you all use that um, and in which case that I might feel that it is right or wrong or even a thing. I'm still, I'm still struggling with it. I'm not saying that it's not a thing. I'm still trying to figure out, you know, how it is a thing. Um, especially when you all use it to, um, every single time a woman tells you that they're not satisfied sexually. So I don't even know if you all are using the word correctly, but you know, I'm still struggling with it and I'm not even gonna, you know, get into that, to that detail. Okay. And, and, and second of all, Okay, just to even further my point here, this movie was great, was written and directed by a black man. So going into depth about how a black woman might feel with a man in this situation, um, a man who is black without consulting a black woman at all would not really know how a black woman would feel or what the black woman's perspective would be. So this is why I said that Regina King's character is very, very, very layered because she brought the depth. She brought the complexity. She brought out specifically how a black woman would advocate for themselves sexually, how they would actually feel in this situation by using John Singleton's word, sure. But she brought out such a uh, such a real authentic um, feeling and emotion that most black women would actually feel if they felt comfortable being able to say what they needed to say about this specific thing. But again, this was all John Singleton's words. So if you felt like she emasculated him in this in this perspective or with this, I think you, she got a little wrong. I think that John Singleton wrote it as if a woman was going to emasculate him or make him feel shameful for what he did. So I, I, I will give you all that. She did shame him for for what happened. Like she shamed him. But at the same time, I feel like I'm, let me just keep going. So here is here here's a black woman's perspective, okay? So let me just set the scene. Chicago in this in this moment, um, 
came fast. Like he, they had sex and he came, he came fast. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that at all. I don't think that Isha thought there was anything wrong with that. And again, like I said, I think that men get wrapped up in this validation from women that their sex game is good. That when women tell them that they're not sexually satisfied, it becomes a power issue to try to make her feel or to try to make her the the problem. Like she is the bad, like her vagina is messed up, that there's something wrong with her when she's just like, no, I'm just not satisfied sexually. So when she advocates for herself and for better sex, she is now perceived as this angry black woman who likes to emasculate men. Um, which now I, I'll give you the fact, like I said, like I said, I feel like she did shame him a little bit for coming too fast. But again, I feel like that was John Singleton's words coming out. And I feel like that was his own um, projection on how women actually feel rather than actually um, what it really was. Um, so either way, but um, even within the scene, I, I don't see from what it seems like, it seemed like this was not the first time that this has happened. Like, it didn't seem like this is the first time that, you know, he came fast and then she's just like, rawr. Like, no, like, it seemed like this has been happening for a while now. And so I'm just going to say this. It's not cool if he comes every time and she doesn't. And it's not cool that, that she has to learn ways to please him sexually, but he doesn't even try. Right. So that's where she was upset. That's why she was mad, because it seems like he was kind of just like, OK, let's fuck. And then she's like, OK, we'll fuck. And then she gets on top and she starts fucking him. And then he comes really fast and then he tells her that, you know, you need to wait until I'm hard again in order for you to feel satisfied. When in actuality, I just feel like um, there are so many other possibilities to get her off like so many other possibilities. Like he wasn't like, oh, okay, I finished and you didn't finish yet. Okay, let me finger you real quick or let me eat you out real quick or anything else. Like I'm just saying like something else, my nigga, like you didn't even try. Like again, he told her to wait for him to get hard again. So after after this happened, they pulled over and Isha was literally giving herself some space. Like after she said everything in the car, she said that, you know, he comes too fast and that's it. And like, she's not satisfied. And like, it's just like, this happens over and over and over again. You know, she pulls up, they pull over the car and she's literally looking over the cliff, contemplating life. And Chicago is the one that comes over there to disrupt that. He invades her space, her area and her time to think. And she said several times, leave me alone. She said several times, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk about it. And he kept asking her what she meant by what, what she was talking about, that she's not satisfied sexually. What do you mean that you're not satisfied sexually? What do you mean that this, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? And don't turn your back on me. He kept saying that to her. Like, don't turn your back on me. Don't turn your back on me. Even though she kept repeating, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk about it. Right. And so he basically forced it out of her. Cause she got so fed up with him, like constantly prying um, and didn't leave her the fuck alone. So he basically forced it out of her and she let him have it. She said that she is 
that he is so worried about his outward appearance for nothing, that there was a reason that the last girl left him and the reason why the next girl will too. She said, she also said that just because he works out and is buff, it doesn't make him a man or someone who can actually fuck. And then she said, that's why she is fucking someone else. And then it was boom, smack. Chicago fucking smacked the fuck out of her. Tukak gasp, Justice gasp, Isha gasps. At this point, Isha is bleeding from her mouth and just attacks him. I would physically, like she goes after him, um, but that doesn't stop him, of course, from, you know, going off. And he's like trying to say, he's like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like he's trying to get her to stop, but he also doesn't stop because he ends up getting frustrated with the fact that she's hitting him rather than like just taking the abuse, like just taking the fact that he smacked the fuck out of her, right? And so she starts wailing on this nigga and he hits her again and now he's on top of her. And so he starts wrestling her to the ground and he keeps hitting her. And so Justice at this point looks at Lucky and she says, are you gonna do anything about this? And Lucky, a man with a daughter, a man who can beat another man's ass, like we've seen that, a man that moved his daughter out of a house so that way she can be safe says, and I quote, this is none of my business. <clears throat> so Janet gets out of the van and helps her friend. Chicago hits her too. And this is when John Singleton found that it would be a perfect time for Lucky to rise up and fight Chicago with the audacious claim that he was hitting a female. I keep making these pauses just so that way it can sink in, y'all. So we can get into the complexities of colorism on a different day um, and how Isha was not seen as worthy to be saved because she's a dark-skinned Black woman. Um, but at this point, my point still remains she was not worthy to be saved because it was none of his business. The one time it was actually his business, the one time you could have imagined your daughter, you didn't. Because to you, your daughter is somebody who is just outside of the monolith of what women are. And everyone who's inside of whatever monolith this, 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 this uh, world is that Tupac has or that Lucky has in this case, or men specifically, we're just talking, we're talking about men in general. The monolith that you have put women in are, are represented, treated, talked to, lied to, fucked with, fucked on, beat on, and even acknowledged as none of your business. So, you know, you're right, Safari. You're right. Your daughter does need you. She needs you to do some introspective work. She needs you to do some self-evaluation. She needs you to view situations that are absolutely in your control, like the protection of women, the unlearning of patriarchy, sexism, misogyny, and learn how to treat women with respect. She needs you to start. She needs you to be the example for what love from a man really looks like. She needs you to take a look at the world that she lives in that tells her that love does not exist for her. And she needs you to be that fucking world. She needs you to stop controlling her body and the bodies of other women. 
She needs you to really understand how it feels to love or what really what love really looks like and how you can actually love another woman by loving your fucking wife. She needs you to understand how self-love really looks. She needs you to understand that being sexually liberated doesn't contribute to her worth as a woman. She needs you to know that being naked does not make her confused or, or have a terrible story or have daddy issues. Daddy issues. Daddy issues. She needs you to know that most women want to fuck. Most women want to just love their vaginas. Most women do love their vaginas. They love their vulvas. They love their titties. They love their stomachs. They love their thighs. They love their hair. They love their eyes. They love their mind. They love their soul. They love their spirit. Therefore, loving every inch of her body naked or covered is God's creation, and she deserves to be celebrated. She deserves the right to conserve or to flaunt or say or move however she chooses. Because at the end of the fucking day, all you niggas do is create worlds in which you judge, disrespect, and then turn a blind eye just to say, it's none of your business. She needs you to change. She needs you to be different. She needs you. So if you tune me out because I'm a woman, <laughs> Here is a man saying the exact same thing. So my friend Avante Bennett, um, he has an IG and IG knows him as they call me Papa Bennett. Okay, so if you need to look that up, at they call me Papa Bennett, it's in the description box. And uh, he is a father of three boys and is happily married to his beautiful wife and is forever dropping gems. And this is what he has to say. Reasons why fathers should self-evaluate. Reason number one, man know thyself. That says it all. Number two, you can't get better if you don't know what you have to work on. Number three, you set the example for your kids. If they see you self-evaluate, they will learn how to self-evaluate, which can allow them to correct their own behavior. Reason number four, it allows you to make sure you're setting the proper example. Reason number five, last but not least, it gives you insight into who they are. Remember, the apple does not fall far from the tree. So I hope that y'all get it. Um, and I hope that, you know, you know what? I don't really care if I did offend you because if I offended you, then you are definitely the person that I'm talking to, which goes back to like episode one. So I don't really think I need to go back and review that. Um, but right now it's time for Underground Flavor. And the Underground Flavor that we have today um, is a beautiful, beautiful singer and a beautiful, beautiful black woman. Her name is Sharika Yvette. And the song I'm gonna play for you today is called Aloe Vera. But I really feel like y'all should really go back and listen to all the rest of her music. She has tons of music that's just beautiful. Um, but just a little bit of background. She is from Houston, Texas. Um, and she does not know me and I do not know her. But I just hit her up on Instagram after I heard some of her music. And I was captivated. Um, and she really was sweet enough for me to be able to play her music on here. Um, so thank you so much, Sharika. I really hope that you liked this episode. And it's probably the first time you listen into this. Um, either way, it does not matter. I am excited for you. Um, and I'm excited for, for everyone to listen to you. Um, so without further ado, again, her name is Sharika. Her information is in the description box. So if you need to follow her and if you want to follow her, I suggest you do. Um, 
And the name of the song is called Aloe Vera. Um, so if you love it, then, you know, download it, find her. She's everywhere. Um, and just follow her on Instagram as well. She loves to roller skate and she roller skates to everybody's um, music um, as well as um, her fashion game is on point. So if you are a fashion goer and you love roller skating and you just love Neo Soul, um, Sharika is here for you. So um, again, without further ado, here is Sharika Alavera. Bye, y'all. I spit fire, I'm hot. So I yearn for your lips touch before I get hot. Headed. Days when my passion would have got the best of like a compilation of my greatest hits. But thank God you are soothing. Cooling off thoughts from this passion would have turned into rage that would have melted me. But you gave me wings. You're my solution. Now my heart sends you a fresh kiss. Cause you rinse my blood from any poison. She rubs it 